Hey, man. Uh, how you doing? Uh, all right. Okay. Uh, yeah. How bad do you want this toilet paper? Uh, pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Okay. This is kind of awkward. Uh, I won't look, but so, so you're preaching uh, today, actually, and uh, and I got some questions for you. So my thought is. Since you're kind of in a precarious situation. Yeah, uh, rather precarious. <laughs> uh, I'll give you toilet paper if you answer questions. Is that... I'm not really in the talking mood right now, but... Um... I think this is a perfect moment, because I'm, I'm growing a beard. It's, it's completely inadequate compared to yours. Yes, uh, Yeah, I know. Uh, what? Give me some wisdom, guidance on, on beard care and, and how to be in that league that you're in. Well, I, uh, you know, there probably be a better time for this conversation, but since we're sitting here, uh, or I'm sitting here. You're sitting, I'm, I'm here, apparently not. But the biggest thing is choosing the right oil for your beard. And so I, I've worked with many different oils in my time of beard life, and uh, I've landed on using coconut oil. So I, uh, every morning, I put some coconut oil on my beard, and it makes it shiny and lustrous. Okay. Yeah. See, that's good. I'm going to take notes on that. You should. You should. I've, I've been advised before and have been using sunflower seed oil, Ooh. which uh, smells good, but I don't know that it's made a difference. So. Yeah, yeah the, the coconut oil is nice. Well, thank you. Well, I, Corey, I'm personally in, enjoying this, and I know that you are, so so I've got some, some either-or questions, and I just, before, I mean, I got the toilet paper right here, Okay. Um, and, and it's it's good. It's It's... I do think it might be single ply, so I either that or sandpaper. I don't know which one you want. Probably not fingerproof. So, so let's just go through this. Um, uh, the, and these are deep, deep questions. While you're doing some important things, uh, Ferris wheel or roller coaster? Which one would you choose? Ferris wheel. Ferris wheel every time. Okay. Uh, sausage or bacon? I don't eat meat. I know it was, it was a trick question. Okay. But I yeah, I, 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 neither one. Neither one. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunate. If you had to do without one or the other, cable or internet, what would you hold on to the most? Internet for sure. Internet for sure. Yes, internet. Okay. I love the internet. Uh, you're gonna sell something Craigslist or eBay? Craigslist. Okay. Uh, oh, that's really weird. If you could know the date of your death or the cause of your death, which which little tidbit would you want to know? I would choose the date of my death. I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you, for life, could hit a rewind button or a pause button, which would you rather have? Uh, you know, I'd like to go off the board and pick a fast forward button for right now. Mm. I'd love to get through this <laughs> That's moment. That's good. That's as good. As quick as possible. Now, the deepest yes. question, last question. Um, this, this is this. toilet paper. No, I, hey, you're, you're fine, you're fine. That's all I need. We're not going anywhere. Uh, I'm not going anywhere. Hakuna Matata or YOLO? That's that's really deep. I know, I know. I think I'm gonna go with Akuna Matata. Okay, it's good because it has a song. It's good. It's good. It's really a wonderful phrase. It it is a wonderful phrase. All right, all right. So you're you're preaching today when you get well, when you get done here. Well, if I ever uh, get done. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what what are you uh, gonna be preaching on? What are you, what are you gonna What are you gonna do? Uh, talking about that God still speaks. That uh, I think that God speaks to everyone if we're listening, and that's, so we're gonna, we're gonna chat about that a little bit. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I'm all out of toilet paper, so I'll, I'll go find someone. 
to, to bring you. Oh, you don't have a birthday? Yeah, I'll, I'll just have him, have him bring you. He's some. just going to leave okay. you here. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say this, if you're the kind of person who talks to other people while they're using the bathroom, stop it. <laughs> Thanks for coming today, we'll see you later. No, I, so I, my name is Pastor Corey, I'm one of the pastors here at Fountain Spring, and I'm so glad you could join us. And as we gather here this morning, there's another group of Fountain Springers gathering in a prison, a local minimum security prison. So could we together welcome the guys at RCMU, <laughs> fellas, we're so glad So today I am wrapping up a series called Four Things I Wish You Knew About God, and today uh, I get to talk about how I wish you knew that God speaks. I wish you knew that God speaks. So uh, I'm a pastor here, but I'm also a dad. I have an almost one-year-old son, Charlie, and this weekend... Both sets of grandparents were in town, and so we decided that we were going to have a little birthday party at our house to appease the grandparents, right? And so uh, this was on Friday night, and I brought a little picture with me today of, of how this went. It was, um, you know, it's, it's interesting with a one-year-old is, is you plan moments like this and think these are going to be wonderful moments, and uh, he had a different idea or a different plan, you know. It's interesting when, when your son becomes about one, you start, having, you start realizing that you don't communicate very well, right? That there's things that I want him to know about his life that he just doesn't understand. And there's apparently things that he wants me to know that I don't understand, right? We struggle to communicate. We uh, to try and bridge this gap. We've been teaching Charlie a little bit of sign language, and, and I would say we're pretty much unsuccessful in the venture, uh, but he knows two signs. He knows more, and he knows all done, all right? So it's really when we're eating, if he wants more, he will go more, or if he's all done, he'll go all done, you know, and it's helped us in our communication. You know, I, I think sometimes uh, as we go through different seasons of life, sometimes it feels like we can't communicate with God, or God can't communicate with us, and we'll go through these seasons, and we'll look for a sign, we look for signs from God. God, just give me a sign. Just give me a sign on the path you want me to walk or the direction you want me to go. Give me a sign on how to get through this situation in my life. I think the reality is, the reality is, God doesn't desire just to give us signs every so often, but God desires to be in constant communion with us. He desires to speak to us all the time, every day, and every moment, that his presence is with us, guiding us throughout Life. There's a moment in scripture I'd like for us to look at together, and it's in the book of Matthew. Matthew is one of these fellows that, that followed Jesus around. And this is near the end of Jesus' life. These are some of Jesus' last words. And this is what Jesus says to his followers. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. It's it's one of these moments where Jesus is, is trying to calm the scene a little bit, 
Right, for the disciples, this is a tough moment to work through. Jesus is calling them, he's sending them to go out and, and, and do what he's done for the world, except, except this time he's sending them and saying, I'm not gonna be here with you. I'm not gonna be here with you. And the disciples, the followers of Jesus, have to go, how are we gonna do what you want us to do if we can't talk to you, if you're not here to give us direction? See, this is a culmination of, of, of a change that happened throughout Scripture. It's this, this shifting in the way that God communicates with you and I, the way that God communicates with mankind. See, before Jesus walked the earth, the way God communicated with his people is he would speak to someone, and then that someone would speak to everyone. And then it was up to the people to decide, will we do what that someone is telling us and is claiming that God is telling them to tell us, or will we disobey and not do what God is asking us to do through this individual? Well, then when Jesus walked the earth, when Jesus was here, if you wanted to hear from God, all you had to do was get close to him physically. If you could get in the presence of Jesus, he taught and he went through life and he spoke, he was God. So when he spoke, you could hear from God. And in this moment, in this moment, we see a change. Actually, we see an announcement, an announcement that Jesus is leaving, but he's leaving with us his Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit. It's a change in the way that everyone communicates with God. No longer is it through a person or no longer is it through Jesus in the flesh, but he's leaving with us his spirit to exist inside Every follower of Jesus to guide and direct us in every moment of our life. Today, as I talk about hearing God's voice, I, I kind of want to give a disclaimer off the top and just say that this is mystical. The voice of God is mystical. If you're the kind of person who doesn't like mystical, you like everything to fit into a box, you like to know exactly what you're supposed to do, I'm gonna ask you to stick with me through this message. It is my goal to give us some practical steps to set us up to experience the mystical. I remember the first time I ever felt the presence of God. I was in sixth grade and, and I had been attending this youth group for a little while. And up to this point in my life, I had never made a commitment for myself to follow Jesus. I had never given my entire life to Jesus. I'd never invited him to be the king of my life. And I'd been in many incredible youth services where speakers would get up and share about God's plan for our life and invite us to come and give our lives to Jesus. And multiple times in that season of my life, I said, no, I don't want to follow Jesus. I want to follow me. Well, on this one night, I was at youth group, and it was a message again about following Jesus. And my dad was a little late picking me up from youth group that day, so I was kind of hanging out for a while. And I, and I remember having this moment where I was like, you know what? I think it's time. I think it's time. I, I think I want to go follow Jesus. And so I, my youth pastor, his name was Randy. He was pacing back and forth across the lobby, and I approached him as a sixth grader and said, Randy, can I become a Christian? Can I become a Christian? And Randy looked at me and said, yes, absolutely. And he invited me. We walked down to the front of this big old empty church. and We knelt down at the stage there that day. And I remember praying and saying, God, I, I want to give my life to you. I want you to forgive me for all the wrongs I've done and all the times that I've pushed away from you and rejected you. I want to invite you in my life to be my leader, to be my king, to be my savior. And in that moment, I remember feeling for the very first time the presence of God 
in me. It was as if God had wrapped his arms around me, as if he entered into me and, and he was with me. He was with me. And from that moment, I believe that God has been with me every single step of my journey. A couple years later, I was having a conversation with Randy and as we were talking on the phone and we were reminiscing about this moment, he said, Corey, you won't believe what was going on for me in that moment. He said, that day as I was pacing back and forth across the lobby, I was having a conversation with God, asking God if he still wanted me to be a youth pastor. And then this sixth grade kid walked up to me and said, Randy, can I become a Christian? Isn't it cool how God speaks to people? It's absolutely incredible that the way I heard God in that moment and the way that Randy heard God in that moment, completely different, but still God is speaking to us as we try to navigate life. I can't explain to you what the voice of God sounds like to me. I wish I could press a play button, you could hear a recording of the voice of God so you could recognize it from this day forward, but God's voice might sound different to you than it does to me. That your relationship with God might look different than mine does. But I believe that it's God's desire to speak to all of us all the time in every aspect of our life. So today what I want to look at is a couple patterns. I want to look at a couple patterns that exist throughout scripture in, in people who hear the voice of God. The first pattern I want to look at is this idea of obedience. This idea that people who hear the voice of God, that they are ready to obey. They're ready to obey. I want to look at a passage of scripture in Proverbs. And this is a passage of scripture that, it's a passage of scripture that maybe if you grew up in Sunday school, if you grew up in church, maybe you memorized this. Maybe you got a star on a chart once for knowing this scripture. Maybe if your parents are a little weird, they paid you to memorize this scripture. But this this is a passage of scripture that, that is really famous in the church. It's really famous in the church. This is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. There's this idea all throughout scripture that the way we can begin to make our path straight is, 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 is if we have this heart of obedience. If we have this heart of obedience. Perhaps you know the story of Abraham, or perhaps you don't, but Abraham was a man way in the beginning of the Bible that God made a promise to. God made a promise to Abraham that he would be the father of nations. That in fact, that Abraham would be the father of God's people. Well, time went on from this moment, and Abraham and his wife were unable to get pregnant. And for years and years and years, they were unable to get pregnant, and they questioned God, and they doubted God, and they even went through seasons where they walked away from God's plan for their life, but eventually God gave them a son, and his name was Isaac. The Bible says that Abraham loved his son, that he was the apple of his eyes, what Bible describes it as. And one day, God comes to Abraham again and says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to take your son, I want you to take him up to an altar where you sacrifice animals. But instead of an animal, I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to kill him to show your obedience to me. It would be an incredibly confusing moment for Abraham. Incredibly difficult to work through. But what I find so incredible and so challenging about the story of Abraham is that it says, the next morning, the next morning, he gathered his son 
and some wood on the back of a donkey, and they began walking up the mountain to a place to sacrifice Isaac. Now, if you've read the story, you know that, that in the end, Abraham doesn't kill Isaac, and God provides this different sacrifice, and, and God sees Abraham as faithful. But the next morning, the next morning, it shows Abraham's heart was in a place of obedience to God, saying, God, whatever you ask me for, I want you to know that my heart is obedient to you. My heart is obedient to you. Perhaps you know the story of Moses, or perhaps you don't, but Moses was another Old Testament character, another pre-Jesus character that God asked him to do something very special, very unique. See, in this season, God's people were in captivity. They were slaves to a king, to the most powerful king in the world. And God comes to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go to the king. And I want you to announce to him that you are there to take your people with you out of slavery. That you're there to take all of his slaves away from him and lead them out of captivity. Now this was a death wish, right? This is, God is saying to Moses, I want you to go before the most powerful man in the world and let him know what you're about to do. Typically when you would do that to a king, that would be the last words you ever spoke. But in this story, Moses does it. He does it. And he leads God's people of captivity, even when it doesn't make sense. In all of your ways, even the ones that don't make sense, acknowledge him. And what the Bible says, that it's in those moments, as you acknowledge him, then he will make your paths straight. He will make straight your paths. See, it's in the process of obedience. And I'll say that again, it's the process of obedience where God begins to make your path straight. But so many of us long for God to make our path straight, but we refuse to be obedient to him. We refuse to be obedient to him. I remember, I remember having a conversation with this pastor in my life when I was in college. And this was one of those guys that I felt like every time he came up on the weekend and, and spoke a message, I always felt like he was directly speaking to me. It's like he was speaking directly into my life. And there's these moments like, how does he do that? How does he every single weekend hear so clearly from God and what he's supposed to say that he can speak directly into the things that are going on in my life? And I was at a prayer retreat once with him and I cornered him. And I was like, pastor, how do you hear from God so clearly? And he said to me, he said, Corey, from a very young age, from a very young age, I made a decision. I made a decision that whenever I thought I was hearing the voice of God, I would do whatever that voice was asking me to do. He said, here's what happened. Most of the time, it was God's voice. And I got to, got to be a part of some really, really cool, supernatural, God-sized experiences. And sometimes it wasn't God's voice, and I got a big, humble, big piece of humble pie, and that was good for me too, right? And he said it was in that process that I learned to hear what God's voice was and what God's voice wasn't. See, I think we can learn to hear the voice of God, that over time, as we walk in obedience, God's voice can become clearer and clearer and clearer for us. See, I grew up playing a lot of hockey, and I had the privilege of playing a fairly high level of hockey where people paid to come watch games, and there was fans, and it was loud, and people were screaming, and I got to be, in some of those years, one of the better players on my team, so I got sent out in the most intense moments of the game, sent out to perform, and I remember I used to pride myself in the fact that when the fans were screaming, and the coach was yelling, and my team was screaming, and all the pressure was on, I used to pride myself in my ability to focus, in my ability to block out everything that was going on around me and just focus on what I had to do. Except 
whenever my parents would yell something. It was unbelievable. I could get in such a place of focus, but whenever mom or dad would scream something from the crowd, I would hear their voice like it zipped through all the chaos right to my ear. Now, my parents aren't the parents who scream all the time or the parent that you wish you weren't the parent who screamed all the time, right? That's not, that's not my mom and dad. They very seldomly yelled, but when they did, I could pick them out of a crowd like nobody else. And I think that's because my entire life, I had been responding to the voice of my parents. As a young kid, when it was time to wake up from my nap or wake up in the morning, it was my mom who came into my room and said, Corey, Corey, it's time to get up. And I would wake up. And I would come out of my room. As a young toddler or a young child, when I was playing with my toys in the other room, when it was time for lunch or for dinner, my mom would call from across the house and say, Corey, it's time to come for dinner. It's, I want you to put your toys away. It's time to come eat. When I was a little bit of an older kid, and I was biking all over the neighborhood, it was my mom who could stand on the front step and yell my name throughout the neighborhood. No matter where I was, I could hear her and come home. See, over time, I've learned the voice of my parents. I know my mom and dad's voice better than any other voice in the world because I've been responding to it for such a long time. And I believe it's the same way with the voice of God. If you want to learn the voice of God, you just got to begin obeying what he asks you to do. And over that process, you can learn to hear God's voice clearer and clearer and clearer. There's a second thing that I see as a pattern in Scripture of people who hear from God. And that second thing is that we've got to be intentional to listen. We've got to be intentional to listen. There's this the guy named James. He was one of the leaders of the early church. And he wrote a book in the Bible. It's only five chapters. But in the fourth chapter, James is, is teaching the church about, about having a friendship with God. He's describing this relationship that you can have with God that's much like a friendship. And in the middle of this teaching, James says this, draw near to God, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What James is saying is that if you will be intentional, if you'll be intentional to draw yourself close to God, that it's in that intentionality that you begin to experience the presence of God drawing near to us. A couple weeks ago, I was speaking at a middle school camp about 10 minutes from here, over 300 middle school students, and I would speak every night as a part of their sessions, as a part of their, their gatherings. And, and I don't know if you've ever hung out with over 300 middle school students at once for an entire week. Let me tell you, it's a good time. And if you've never done it, you should try it at least once, okay? And, and I remember we went through having an incredible week and we're having a conversation with, with some of the leaders. And, and we were talking about we wanted to give some students this, this opportunity just to be still. You know, we live in a world today where students' lives with phones and technology are incredibly chaotic. And what would it look like to invite students to a moment where they can be still and just listen to God? As we're having this conversation, you can see the doubt in most of the leaders' eyes. Like, you really think sixth, seventh, eighth graders, we can get them just to stop and not look at their phones, not look at each other, not bother each other? It's like, we don't know. Let's try it, right? But I brought a picture. I want to show you this picture from... A couple weeks ago, this is just a few of over 300 middle school students sitting, praying, listening to God, just saying, God, what are you saying to us? What are you saying to us? We're listening. It was incredible after this moment, one of these students came to me and said, Corey, I, I want you to know that, that God asked me to be a pastor tonight. Seventh grade. 
seventh grade, taking moments to be intentional, to hear from God, to seek direction in their life. You know, throughout Scripture, we talked about Abraham a few minutes ago and God's call on his life to be the father of his nation. Do you know where that conversation happened with God? The top of a mountain. That God called Abraham away from the chaos of his regular life. He called him to push away from the chaos of life, push away from the stress of a life, and brings him to the top of a mountain and begins talking to Abraham about his hopes and futures for his life. Moses, when God asked Moses to do this incredibly scary and difficult thing to go and free his people from slavery, you know where that conversation happened? In the middle of a field, away from the pressures of life, away from the stresses of life. And what I find incredible is that even Jesus had this practice in his life. The very first day of Jesus' ministry, it was a rather busy day. On this day, Jesus, uh, he called his disciples, his very first followers. He called his first disciples. He cast out some evil spirits from some people. He healed multiple people, and he preached a sermon. Now, I've been a pastor for a little while now. I've never fit all of those things into one day. Right, And I love what, what Mark says. Mark was one of the guys following Jesus around and writing down the stuff that Jesus was doing. He says, in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. After an incredibly busy, stressful, pressure-filled day, Jesus, even Jesus, pulled away and made time to listen and to pray on another day of Jesus' ministry is a day when he, he fed 5,000 people on this day. He had a miracle where he fed and taught 5,000 people. And on the same day, he began hearing about this pressure from the king. At that time, King Herod was beginning to send people out to inquire about Jesus, to try and challenge Jesus because he was scared that Jesus was getting too much popularity among the people. And then one of the, the fellows, Mark, that was following Luke, sorry, that was following Jesus around at this time, he tells this story, but he opens the story where he says, while he was praying in private, see, Jesus, even in the midst of a crazy day of ministry, he pushes away, takes a step back and moves away to go and talk to God. And how about the day of the cross? The day of the cross, on this day, people were plotting to kill Jesus. People were out to get him and kill him. One of his best friends, one of the people that he invested so much time into, betrayed him, betrayed him. On this day, he had to figure out how to explain to his followers that he was gonna be leaving, that he was gonna be crucified. And on this day, Matthew says this, he says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Sit here while I go over there and pray. On potentially Jesus' heaviest day as a human being, he takes time to go away and pray. And as I'm preparing for this message, as I'm preparing for this message, God speaks to me and I'm, and then how arrogant and how prideful am I? Because when I get in the busyness of life, when I get really, really chaotic in my life, those are the seasons when I stop praying. Those are the seasons when I stop taking time to spend with Jesus because in my brain, I think I don't have time. 
I have so much to do. My to-do list is way too long to squeeze in any time to pray or to squeeze in any time to listen to Jesus. How prideful am I that I think I'm a better human being because even Jesus had to take time when things got tough to spend time listening and praying to God. Even Jesus had to do that. See, God is speaking to us all the time. And I don't think the problem is that God isn't speaking. I think the problem is, is we so often don't put space in our life so that we're able to hear him. We're able to hear him. I, um, I love watching sports. Uh, I would say I love watching hockey somewhere up at number one on the list. And then there's a giant gap, and then all the other sports are down here somewhere. But, um, but there's, and I'm going to put this in quotation, there's a sport okay, that I cannot quite figure out somehow this sport made on the list of sports somewhere way back in the day, and we've not been able to get it off that list for a really long time. And this sport is called NASCAR. Um, so I, uh, I lived in Indianapolis for a little while, and, and, and my friend got free tickets to the Brickyard and invited me to this NASCAR race. And I don't know if you've ever been to a NASCAR race, and if you ever have the opportunity to go, I would suggest not going. And uh, Here's what you do at a NASCAR race. It's multiple hundreds of degrees outside, and then you sit on these metal bleachers that are multiple hundreds of degrees, and you burn the bottoms of your legs on these bleachers. And then all day long, for hours and hours and hours, for hundreds of laps, I don't know how many hundreds of laps, but it's hundreds of laps, right? And you sit there all day long, and here's what you do. Wow! Awesome, right? And they have no shirts on with Confederate flag tattoos on their back. Like, take that flag down, I dare you, right? And they're every, every single lap, every, and I'm, I am not exaggerating, every single lap when Dale Earnhardt Jr. drove by, they, they yelled words at Dale Earnhardt Jr. that if I said right now, I would lose my job, okay? <laughs> every single Lap, and I remember looking at these guys like this is so ridiculous. Like as if Dale Earnhardt Jr. can even hear them. They are so committed to screaming profanities at a man who cannot hear them. In this noise of the engines and the pressures of a race, as if Dale is driving by, going, "What did they say? Oh, that hurt my feelings." Right? Like, unbelievable, as if he could hear them in all of the noise and the chaos of life. And I just feel like in our relationship with God, we expect to be able to hear from God. And I want to say, like, as if I can hear from God in all the noise and chaos of my own life, as if I could even hear from him when everything is pressured on and I'm so focused on me, as if I could hear from God. And what God calls us to do, he doesn't say life won't be chaotic. He doesn't say life won't be stressful. But what he invites us into is this relationship or this pattern in our life where sometimes we just got to push away. We just push away and listen to what God is saying to us. Are we willing to push away and make it a priority to listen and hear from God? 
And for a long time, I've had this passion on my heart, this, this burning desire inside of me. I, I just have this, my heart breaks for people who don't know Jesus. And, and I, I, I've known for a, quite a while that someday I would go and, and, and be the lead pastor of a church or start a church in an area where, where the majority of people aren't so friendly towards Jesus. And I, and I had this guy come and talk to me, and he, he, he said, hey, I want, you to, I'm, I want you to go plant a church in Portland, Oregon. I don't know if you know this about Portland, Oregon, but last year on the census, there's not a single city in the United States of America where more people declared none next to religious affiliation than Portland, Oregon. One morning, I was having breakfast with Pastor David, and I was just sharing with him. Just, we were just talking about life, and I was sharing about the, this guy and what he had said to me, and I just kind of was brushing it off because I just bought a house, and I just had a baby, and I work at the 14th fastest-growing church in the nation, right? Like, I've got a really good gig right now. Things are really good in my life, you know? And David, as we're talking, he just leaned across the table and said, Corey, I don't want to see you leave here for a really long time. I'd love it if you stayed here forever, he said, but as your pastor, as your pastor, I, I need to make sure that you're not walking in a road of disobedience to God. Oh, right? And so I called the guy back, and he sent my wife and I out to Portland, Oregon, and we just spent some time for six days. We walked around the city in different neighborhoods and just were praying and asking God, if this is where you want us to be, we want you to show us and speak to us. And one night, we're having dinner at this restaurant, and we're sitting up at the bar, and next to us was this, was this lady who worked at a weed dispensary. She sells marijuana for a living. And, um, and then, yeah, and she's with her, her boyfriend, who, uh, who, who's a philosophy major. He's going for his master's in philosophy. And they know nothing about Jesus and nothing about church. Not super interested in Jesus or church. And we're just talking and sharing just like about our lives. I told them I was a pastor from South Dakota. And we were here visiting, checking out the city. And they're like, how do you think of the city? It's like, we love it. This is such a cool, like, we're an hour from the ocean, an hour from the mountains. Such a cool vibe in Portland. And she leans across the table and says, you should plant a church here. The weed lady. So I was like, I was like uh, okay, you know, and, and uh, so they laughed, and they walked out, and my wife and I kind of look at each other, like, really perplexed, like, what just happened? Did God just speak to us through a weed lady, right? And, and they, uh, they, they, they came back in a few minutes later with their names and phone numbers written on a piece of paper and said, hey, if you ever come back here, give us a call. Like, incredible moment of, of God speaking in and we were back here the next weekend, and Pastor David was up here like he does, just so passionately sharing about God's heart to reach people who don't know him, about God's heart for us to show people who Jesus is. And my wife grabs my hand. She looks at me and says, we have to go. We have to go. And so church, my wife and I, we're going to move to Portland, Oregon, and we're going to start a church to show some people in Portland who Jesus is. You know, as I say those words, I don't even know what they mean, right? We're just going to start taking some steps and, and moving towards that. Over the last few months, we've been teaching my son Charlie how to walk. 
I don't know if you have kids, maybe you remember these moments, but there's these moments when you know he's got the ability to walk, and you know he's got the strength to walk, and it's really just a confidence issue. They just need to start taking steps, and they can get it. And I remember holding Charlie, and I've got his hands, and my wife is just a few steps away on the other side, like, come here, boy, come here, Charlie, come on, come on. And as a dad, you kind of take, take your hands off, and immediately he, like, gets scared and falls, right? And then eventually, he takes that first step, and you're like, where's my phone, right? And you're like, you're trying to get it, and you've totally missed it, right? And they takes that first step, and as a dad, I'm just, you're just so proud of your kid, like doing something so simple, like taking a step, but you're just filled with pride, and, and, and I think sometimes we, we don't view God like a dad, but we view him like this angry person in the sky who would be having this like step, how wrong would it be as, as Charlie takes his first step and falls, I'm like, you suck, kid, like come on. Did you see the other kids walking? Like, come on, give it right. And we view God like that. When really what God is like is he watches us take those first steps. And we're so not confident. And we're so shaky and so scared that we're going to fall. Even as we're taking steps and even as we fall, God looks at us proud and says, that's my boy. That's my girl. Trying to take steps. I know that Charlie can't crawl forever. And I know that if he doesn't walk, that his life is not going to work out really well. I, I need him to learn how to do this. And God knows that there's things in your life that you don't even see and that you don't even understand. Things in your life that you don't have the strength to do and the courage to do. But he's calling you to them anyway. And he desires for us all just to take those steps. And we'll fall. And then we'll get back up, and eventually it's two steps and three steps. And now my son is almost one, and he can run faster than me. I can't keep up with him around the house anymore. But God calls us to just start walking, to just take some steps. Just take some steps. And today I want to ask you, if you want to be guided and directed by God, do you want to hear the voice of God? And if you do... I. I'd like you to run your life through these two filters. Is your heart obedient? Are you willing to do whatever God asks you to do? Even if it's scary, even if it doesn't make sense, even if you're not confident in yourself, are you willing to do it? Is your heart obedient to God? And the second filter I want you to run your life through is are you willing to push back from the chaos of life and give him the moments, the time to speak to you in your busiest stressful, scariest seasons of life, are you willing to make it a priority to push back from life and listen?